is find your footing. And as we do, uh, we, we recognize that uh, we are living in a very topsy-turvy world uh, in a turbulent time, and at times we can feel like we've lost our balance, that we've uh, lost our footing. We can, we can stumble and fall. And as we have been going through this, we've been using this hiking theme. And so this morning, uh, I want to uh, continue this theme, and, uh, and you'll understand where I'm going with this in a minute. But I've got a bunch of branches that I'm going to pass out, so I need some volunteers here. Dawson and Jacob, you guys can take a, a couple. And uh, Susan and, and Sai. Yeah, and, uh, so everyone gets uh, one uh, branch here, okay? And uh, we're going we're gonna to think about this. When you go hiking, you're out in the woods, right? Um, and uh, you're going to come across... Uh, trees and uh, bushes and shrubs and all of this, and uh, and some t- and if you're hiking in an area other than around here, you might come across reeds. Okay, I pick out the I, I highlight reeds because it's crucial to what we are talking about uh, this morning, and uh, but reeds are normally uh, found in marshy, wet areas. And uh, so we don't got any marshy, wet areas around here. We live in a desert. Uh, but, um, but this is to uh, represent what is like a reed. Uh, it is the stick you're going to get in your hand. Uh, I want to just encourage you, play with it for a moment. It bends. It's, it's flexible. But we all know by nature not to, to bend this stick too far, right? If, if you bend it too far, what's going to happen? You're going to break it, right? And so we, we uh, bend it and, and we play with it. And even as I'm bending this little branch in my uh, fingers right now, if I listen real carefully, I can hear the little cracking. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a stick or a, br- a reed or a branch, any sort of bush, if it's bent too far because of the weather or because we step on it or whatever, it can bruise. And if, it bre- if, and, if, and if it's been too far, it can break. And uh, in our lives, we can go through real difficult things that can, that can cause bruising. In fact, sometimes we go through s- such difficult th- things that if we're paying attention to our own hearts, we can, we can hear it crack. We can, uh, we can realize that that these things in our lives, the difficulties of this, of this sinful world can cause hurt in our hearts and in our lives. A, uh, words can bruise. Something that is said to us that hurts and it cuts deep. Uh, relationships can bruise. A situation, an experience that we can have can bruise. It can cause deep hurt in our lives. And at times, and I've seen this, and I'm sure that you have as well, the bruising can be so deep that it can break us. And I've, and I've seen people, that broken people, that you can sense there's, a, there's a, the deep meaning and the deep joy in their life has been wiped out, and they pull away from family and friends, and they pull away from a relationship with God. 
This morning, uh, we're talking about a, a bruised reed because that's the analogy that Isaiah gives us in Isaiah chapter 42. If you're joining us for the first time this morning through this sermon series, Find Your Footing, we're going through Isaiah 40, to, 40 through 53. 53 will be our Christmas passages because it's such a beautiful picture of uh, the coming of Jesus. But this morning we're, we find ourselves in Isaiah 42, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. The first four verses in uh, Isaiah uh, 42. So does everybody have their little branch? Okay, uh, as we, uh, as we uh, read this, I just want us to hear these words from the Lord to recognize the character of God towards bruised reeds. Isaiah 42, verse 1, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he brings forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he brings, until he establishes justice on earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. In fact, as we look at this passage this morning, this is a passage of hope. The islands, the nations, our church, West Covina Christian Church, and each of us today, individually in our families, these are words of hope for us. It's because it teaches us, uh, uh, the hope comes because uh, of a couple crucial things that this passage teaches us about who God is. If we look carefully, we'll we'll see uh, uh, two attributes. One is, this teaches us about the gentleness of God. And we see that in the idea of a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. God is very gentle, especially to those that are hurting. The gentleness is also seen in the fact that it says that he will not shout or, or cry out or raise his voice in the street. In other words, he's gentle in the way that he speaks to us. He's not harsh. He's not demeaning. He speaks, uh, he speaks gently to us. And then the second attribute that we're going to look at this morning about who God is, one, gentleness, two, is God's justice. God's justice jumps out at us in the fact that that specific word is used four times in this passage. The word word justice has a, a courtroom feel, right? That if, a, that if a, someone accused of a crime is brought f- for, uh, before the judge, the, the hope is that the judge is just to administer the right punishment fairly and accurately. The idea of uh, justice means that there is a fair and impartial application of what is right. And so it kind of ties back into last week's sermon in which we talked about uh, what is right and true. And we see that God's justice wants to see what is right and true and uh, and what is just happen in each person's lives. Now these two attributes, justice and gentleness, are actually two sides to the same coin. In God's mind, uh, uh, God wants 
for what is to be uh, right done and, uh, and to be done in the right way. That's his justice. Now, the right way that it is done flows from his gentleness. And his gentleness is what motivates his justice. What, uh, his justice is what motivates his gentleness. Because he, because he knows that he is, all of us this morning, in one way or another, are coming as bruised reeds. And if we are to experience uh, the best that God has for us, it is to receive his gentleness and his justice. And so let's, uh, let's pause for a moment, and uh, I'm going to pray for us. But I just want us to enter into the, the theme here. The title of today's uh, sermon is A Gentle Justice Warrior. Okay, the idea of a warrior, that'll come out that, that God fights that God fights for what is right, and he, but he doesn't use weapons of harshness or meanness. He uses weapons of justice and gentleness. But with this branch in your hand, I want you to take a minute and consider your own life. Pause for a moment and, uh, and be able to just recognize that you have been through relationships and had words spoken to you and uh, and had experiences in life that have caused bruising and i know that to be true because we live in a sinful world and we'll talk about how the bruising comes from sin that that's at the heart of it but all of us come this morning into god's presence as bruised reeds. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that as we open, as we dig into your words some more here this morning, that these analogies that you use uh, in your word would have a truth in them that would sink deep into our hearts. And God, what's hard is, like, even as I talk about this, I know I have been bruised, and I know I've been the person to cause bruising at times. And that, and that breaks my heart. And, uh, and so, God, we just come before you this morning, and uh, we thank you that you are a God of justice who has dealt with sin on the cross through his son, Jesus. And so we thank you for the forgiveness that you offer to us, and we thank you for the gentleness that you offer to us. That you are a God who can heal and meet us where we are at. And I pray that as we look at your word this morning, it would be opened up to us simply by your Holy Spirit that we invite now to come and to teach us and to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you are snackers? You're like, okay, wow, we've got a lot of snackers. Uh, a, a bowl of pretzels in the afternoon or some crackers, is that right? What's your favorite snack? Popcorn, there you go. Maybe at night uh, uh, in front of the TV you got a bowl of popcorn. Uh, snacking seems like a good thing in life. Nothing wrong with a little uh, snacks here and there, right? As long as it's not snacks on M&Ms all afternoon or something like that. But snacking seems fairly innocent. 
Uh, one day, Jesus and his disciples were traveling from one uh, town to the next, and as they were traveling, they, were, they would pass through the fields, little uh, worn paths uh, that would travel through the fields. Right up next to the path were, uh, were plants, uh, weed or, or some sort of plants with some grain on them, and as they go, they think nothing of it, but they're snatching off the grain as they go. They Remove the husk as they wipe, uh, as they rub it in their hands and pop it into your mouth. Kind of like sunflower seeds would be a good snack, right? And so they're eating grain as they go along, and you'd think, no big deal, pretty innocent. But the Pharisees see what happens, uh, what Jesus and his disciples are doing, and they're indignant about it. What are you doing? You can't eat, be eating that, uh, that grain. And, and it wasn't because uh, it was along the side of the field and they didn't own the field. Because chances are, along the side of the field, that's just public property. The reason they're so mad is because they're doing this on the Sabbath. And the idea of shucking grain and eating it would have been considered, quote-unquote, work. And the Pharisees are upset. Now Jesus uh, hears what they're saying, and he points to one of their heroes, to David, and he reminds them of what David and what David's followers did at one point in the Old Testament. And the Pharisees, uh, hearing the example of David, they have no counter-argument. And so they're, they, they, they shrink back in the distance again, but they're watching. They're watching like a hawk, waiting for Jesus to mess up because they want to accuse him and they want to discredit him. Now in this passage in Matthew 12, in, on the exact same day, uh, as the Pharisees continue to watch uh, Jesus and his disciples, there's a man, and it's the same story, same pericope. Uh, there's a man that comes uh, to Jesus with a, with a withered hand. And uh, now the, the, the Pharisees are watching, and Jesus knows that they are watching. In fact, he's going he's to, without any prompting, he's going to do something in a moment. Uh, but he knows that if Jesus, if he were to heal this man with the withered hand, Pharisees are going to be up in arms. You can't be doing that on the Sabbath. You, uh, and so what, is, what do you think Jesus does? You think he caves to the, to the pressure and, uh, and heals them on the next day, the first day of the week? Or do you think that uh, he heals uh, the man with the withered hand? Well, well, we know the answer, right? Because we know the heart of Jesus. Jesus heals the man's hand, and it doesn't tell us what the reaction of, of the man is. I assume he's overjoyed. I'm assuming he's filled with uh, joy and gratitude. But as soon as the man's hand is healed, Jesus doesn't wait for the, for the uh, pointing, pointed fingers and the accusations of the Pharisees. He addresses it right off the bat. And what does he do to address what they are going, about to accuse him of? He quotes word for word Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. And he says, today in your, uh, in your midst, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, is fulfilled. And what Jesus is saying is this healing is a demonstration that Jesus, that God, who is just and who is gentle, uh, that Jesus is that God, that he brings these things uh, into this man's life. And, 
And it's a beautiful illustration. The first verse of Isaiah 42 says, Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. And Jesus says, I'm that servant. And so just the fact that Jesus has come, and that he is our Savior and Lord, all of these verses in Isaiah 42 apply directly to us. Because this is Jesus' heart to us. Jesus is, first of all, gentle. God is gentle. When we think of the bruised reed in light of uh, God's gentleness, it says that, G- that God will not break a bruised reed. Now, bruising comes into our lives, as I said, because of sin. Ultimately, it's always because of sin. One, because of our own sin. And we can do things that bruise ourselves. We, we, can ha- we, we have had a, an act that brought, a, brought, a disip- brought difficulty into our own life, something we should not have done. It could be we've had a relationship It could be that we've had a sinful habit or a sinful lifestyle. Our own sins can sometimes bruise ourselves. But sometimes the bruising is no fault of our own. Sometimes it is because someone else has bruised us. My wife is a social worker who works with children, and and sometimes the, the children that she works with, it is so sad the way that they have been hurt and abused and bruised for no fault of their own, just innocent kids. And sometimes the bruising is so bad, we talk about a bruising that breaks, sometimes the bruising is so bad that they will be broken except by the tremendous intervening grace of God. That's God's gentleness, and that's our prayer that God would do that. But sometimes it's not our own sin that causes the bruising, and sometimes it's not even the sin of others, but it's just a, it's the fact that we live in a sinful world. A woman who uh, experiences a miscarriage, or a person who uh, loses their job, not because they messed up, but because the company is downsizing, or, or a person... Who has just uh, who has the, the loss of a lo- uh, the loss of a loved one, things that happen because sin and death have entered into this world. We have all experienced uh, life's disappointments and been bruised by life's pressures, expectations, and failures. And the promise of this passage is that God will not break a bruised reed. In fact, the opposite of tr- is true. God will bind up and heal a broken life or a bruised life. And then the second analogy that is used here is that of a smoldering wick. Now, I, don't, I should have brought a candle or something, but you, you, get the, you know the image of a, of a smoldering wick. The, there, the fire is almost out, to use the analogy here. It's, it's almost out. Now, I think of the fire in our lives— as something that exists because we are created in the image of God. When we are most alive, when the fire is burning within us, it is when we are alive to the things that are around us. We're we're thriving with great relationships 
healthy, wonderful, life-filling relationships. There's a creativity that, that just flows out of us. There's joy and peace and happiness. And, uh, and that's when the, uh, the fire is burning within us. But we know that the difficulties that come into our lives can, can dampen the fire. And it can cause us to, to, to sweep the emotions under the rug, to, to not be fully alive to everything that is going on around us. Uh, it, can, it can mean that our relationships are, are hurt or uh, that the peace and the joy and the happiness within us is, is, uh, is lessened. Here is the promise of the passage again. God promises not to snuff out a smoldering wick. Uh, Michelle is in my life group uh, that, that I lead on Thursday nights, and, uh, and she shared a testimony uh, in the life group that I thought would be a wonderful thing for her to come and share this morning. She shared, I, the, uh, the image that came to mind was a smoldering wick. Just that, that fire felt like it was, it, was, uh, it was almost out. So I better not go any farther or I'll, I'll, I'll uh, steal her thunder. So Michelle, come and uh, share with us a little bit about your testimony. Good morning, church. Can everyone hear me? Yeah. All right. So uh, my name is Michelle. Felix is my husband. He wishes he could be here today. Couldn't make it. Uh, we have two adult daughters, Jenny Lee. She's 32. She lives in the East Coast. And Ashley, 26, who works graveyard in the emergency room. So she's asleep. And uh, then Brooke, our youngest princess. She's 13. We uh, attended a loving uh, Christian church in Alhambra almost five years. And during that time, Brooke grew from a happy go married toddler in the infant area to a playful music, singing, Jesus-loving kind of kid. Felix and I sometimes watch home videos of Brooke pretending to be a Sunday school teacher. In the video, her dad and I are sitting on the living room couch while Brooke is standing there reading to us from a Bible. I think we might. Um, does Jesus help other people? Um, yeah. Okay. I guess. I, I, okay. I have a question. Okay. To um, how old is Jesus? He probably is four. He's four. He's four? I have a question. Okay. Which one? Um, does Jesus love everybody? Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay, I'm all done. I have a question. Thank you. Okay. Uh, do you love Jesus? Yeah. Okay. okay. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we moved to West Covina, we started going to a mega church. Brooke still had fun-loving learning lessons about Jesus, but it was so big that uh, there weren't any personal connections. 
even after a long six years of fellowship, we didn't have personal relationships with anyone there. We attended regularly, and I started to feel like I wasn't growing in Christ. Every night, I read countless bedtime Bible stories to Brooke. Even though we are a family that prayed at every meal, and even though we read Bible verses daily, I still felt like the Spirit of God was withering away. I was feeling spiritually weak. As you all know, in 2020, every church was asked to close their doors. It seemed like immediately church was gone just like that. Almost even during a time when we all needed church the most. A few months went by, and then finally church on TV. Praise God. But before long, we were watching TV on the couch. And uh, almost every Sunday from the couch, often distracted by our cell phones, sometimes in pajamas, pausing to take time for coffee breaks and quick naps. By 2021, church reopened, but we kept watching church on TV. Felix lost interest and started working long shifts on Sundays. Brooke, now a sixth grader, had lost all interest in church and God. She would say things to me like, don't talk to me about God, Mom. Mm. I prayed and prayed that all this would pass. We were most definitely not growing toward God. Mm. In 2022, by the beginning of April, that mega church closed. We no longer had a church to go to. I felt very lost. I prayed for a place where we could grow in Christ together, especially a church for our daughter. I prayed diligently for God not to forsake us, grab a hold of my family. I prayed for the Holy Spirit to live within my baby girl's soul again and illuminate that smile on her face once again. But when? Well, on uh, Saturday, June 18th, I took Brooke for a drive just to get her out of the house. But, of course, she didn't want to go. I told her um, I had a sweet tooth and that maybe we could go get cake or pastry somewhere. No smile, no reply. As we drove up a street called Cameron, I saw a guy on a sidewalk sitting on a lawn chair holding up a big sign that said, Bake Sale, <laughs> Car Wash. So I drove right on in. I asked her to get down with me, and uh, she said, nope, I'll just wait right here. I bought my baked goods, and uh, just as I was leaving, a a lady uh, stopped me. She said, do you want to buy some boba? I said, no, thank you. I can't stand that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But then I thought for a second, and I told her, you know what? My daughter loves that stuff. You know, let me go ask her. Um, So I ran to the car. I said, Brooke, guess what? They have boba. Uh, Boba's your favorite drink. Can I buy you some? She said, sure, and nudged her shoulder. And then I told her, you need to get down so that you can pick your flavor. When she got down and went to order her drink, a handful of kids were in the kitchen area And Brooke's face just lit up with a smile. (laughs) 
And she said, Mommy, those are my friends, Silas and Emily. Can I stay? She was invited to youth group that night. Stephanie and her sister-in-law invited me to church on Sunday, so I attended, and I really enjoyed it. The following week, Brooke volunteered for Vacation Bible School and has been to every youth group meeting ever since. What an incredible answer to prayer. I just wanted to say thank you, Lord, for not allowing our flickering candles to go out during our weakest moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Church, I want to say thank you for inviting us in and for embracing us with your kindness. You have no idea how much we appreciate it. We are finally growing in Christ again. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Isn't that a beautiful illustration? A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And sometimes we feel like the light is just about to go out. And God's heart is to draw close to us and bring us back to himself at just the right moment. You know, there's only one place in all of the Bible that Jesus uh, tells us characteristics about himself. Now, there's places where he uses analogies and parables to describe himself, but there's only one place he uh, speaks directly about himself, and that is in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29. And, th- and here is what he says about himself. I am gentle and humble in heart. If there's any characteristic Jesus picks out about himself, it is that he is gentle and humble in heart. Dane Ortberg writes about Jesus, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger-happy, not harsh, reactionary, easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. His pos- the posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but open arms. You see, Jesus' most uh, natural posture is not the pointed finger to accuse, but the open arms to embrace. This is the God that we serve and who loves us so much. The first attribute is that God is gentle. Now, the second attribute, which is really very similar, is, like I said, two sides of the same coin— And that is that God is just. The idea that God is just means that he treats everyone fairly and impartially. He defends those, especially those who are weak and vulnerable, who cannot defend themselves. Those that have no voice to defend themselves. In biblical times, the two most vulnerable groups were orphans, and widows. These were the ones that could not defend themselves, provide for themselves. Speaking of uh, God in Psalm 68, 5, it says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. 
In James 1.27, it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. In other words, God says, I will be the voice of those who do not have their voice. I will be the one to defend those that cannot stand up and defend themselves. As I said, this passage, it mentions justice four times. And so I want to just highlight four groups that I think if we were to identify to being vulnerable in our society, these, these would be four that would come to, to mind. One is those that are unjustly discriminated against. Now there's fair, just, uh, there's just discrimination and unjust discrimination. If you're going to go out on a date uh, with your wife on Friday night, you're going to use some discrimination. Not to hire a babysitter who should not be alone with your kids. You're going to try to make that call and say, that person does not have a place in my life. To, to, uh, to discriminate fairly is to say uh, that there's a place where people have a certain role in my life or in society. But oftentimes when we think of discrimination, we're talking about an unfair discrimination. That people are treated unfairly for whatever reason. Galatians 3.28 says, there, this is in God's kingdom, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither Greek or neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In God's eyes, it is unfair discrimination to determine a, places, a person's place in our life or in society based on their race, their ethnicity, their gender, whether they're rich or poor, their social status, their education, whatever it is. And so we as Christians, we say, okay, let's stand on the side of those that are mistreated unfairly. A second group, and we've already talked about this some this morning, is the poor and the needy. As a church, especially with our mercy and justice ministry, we want to say those that are, that are down on their luck, so to speak, that are poor and they're needy, uh, we come alongside of them. The, in fact, Jesus says that the kingdom of God belongs to them. Luke 6.20 says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Mother Teresa once said, If you can't feed a hundred, feed one. And that's our call. Can't, can't, the poor will all be, always be with us, as, God's, as Jesus says, but it doesn't mean that we aren't... Uh, responsible to help who we can. And so we think of the poor and the needy. The third category, and this is the one that is on the forefront of our minds because it's in the news all the time right now, is the unborn. The Dobbs decision to overturn Roe v. Wade has brought abortion into the spotlight. And I read an article almost every day that frames this as a discussion of justice which I think it is. But to me, it seems uh, that, that I look at it uh, from multiple perspectives, but at least from one perspective, that the most vulnerable in this situation, the ones that do not have a voice, are the unborn. And in this debate, in the debate that we have in society, uh, it hinges on when is the unborn, the, the being within the mother, a fetus, and when does it become? Become a baby. And, uh, and one day we really need to have a broad discussion on this, but I'll just say briefly, in, in trying to stu uh, study this in depth, 
I don't see the Bible making such a distinction. Mary was told when she was carrying the Son of God uh, that Mary was told that she was carrying the Son of God from the moment when she conceived. And so abortion is a, is a very difficult emotional subject, especially right now. And so as a church, I just want to say, uh, before I move on to the fourth category, a couple things that I, I just want to make sh- sure that we're really sensitive here, that we can, that we can uh, say a few things. One is, first of all, we do not stand, as the quote I read a moment ago, with a pointed finger to accuse. To, to those who have had an abortion, we express as clearly as we can that we as a church and God loves you and cares for you and can heal and, and can, can forgive And to moms who have had their baby, and it would have been, quote-unquote, easier if they didn't, we stand to support and want to help in any way we can. And to the, and I definitely put this in quotes, to the, quote-unquote, unwanted children, we want to say in the strongest way possible that in God's kingdom there is no such thing as an unwanted child. And so we care. And practically speaking, we want to, Help those that are coming alongside of, of children that would be put in this uh, category. We want to come alongside of foster and adoption agencies and, and those that are uh, caring for those that are quote-unquote unwanted children. My father-in-law several years ago uh, told me that, you know, when he, when he was born, his mom conceived at the age of 40, and the guy was long gone by that time. And, uh, and she told my father-in-law, uh, Dave, and I asked his permission to share this. He said that, uh, that, that he would want me to. His mom told him that if abortion would have been readily available, he would not have been born. And uh, that's hard because this, this is a man that I love very much. And um, I would not have be married to my wonderful, beautiful wife, Right? And so, as a church, I just I bring this up, that uh, we're sensitive to all the feelings that go along with this issue, but, but we stand with the unborn. And I know that there are situations where it's really difficult, uh, where the mother's life is at risk, or, um, or uh, the uh, pregnancy is, has certain uh, circumstances around it. But by and large, we just say, that's who we stand with. And then lastly, the fourth category I'll give us for uh, justice is those that are emotionally hurting and wounded. And I kind of give this as a big catch-all because God will bring people into our lives that he calls us to come alongside of and help. And it's kind of like the story of the Good Samaritan, the person that's traveling along the side of the road and there's someone there. That's an act of justice to come along and help him because he's in that situation And uh, it's a terrible situation. God's going to bring people into your life, probably even this week, that that, uh, need care and love and and support. And and it would please the Lord if we would be his hands and feet in that situation. You see, God is very passionate about his gentleness and his justice. 
And so I just want to look at one other verse in Isaiah 42 before we close this morning. And that's uh, verse 13, and I'll just read the first part of it. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. In other words, God's a, God's a, a warrior. He's a fighter. He fights for what's right. He fights with gentleness. He's a gentle justice warrior. Now, I know justice warrior has all kinds of connotations. I mean it in the best uh, way possible, that God fights uh, with justice and gentleness. And so let me take a minute. As we close this morning, I really feel like the most important thing for us to do is to each of us come before the Lord as our gentle justice warrior. This morning you are here as a bruised uh, reed and a smoldering wick. And for every one of us, the, the fire may not be burning as bright as God would like it to. In fact, that's his continuing sanctifying work in our hearts that he continues to revive us. But all of us have some bruising. And I just want us to take a moment before we close today to acknowledge that pain and that hurt. The pains, the pressures, the struggles of life have bruised. And there are times when the sadness comes and you feel like crying. Or you toss and turn at night wondering what you should do about this situation or if you should have this conversation or what you could have done differently in that situation. And uh, the heart is bruised. And I remind us this morning that Jesus stands not with an accusatory finger, but with open arms. He is gentle. He is just. He will not, braze, he will not break bruised reeds. He will not snuff out smoldering wicks. In fact, he wants to bind up. We have each week in our program this picture. And uh, it's a picture of a fire. And uh, the picture is meant to represent our mission statement, that we exist to spread a passion for God so that he is above all else in our lives, church, and community. And I got thinking about this picture of a fire, because the fire kind of represents a passion for God. I got thinking about this uh, picture of the fire for, with, a with a smoldering wick, right? And, uh, and in this little illustration, we have three flames to grow, to worship, to serve. In our mission statement, the grow kind of comes that we spread a passion for God in our own lives. The worship in our church, the serve in our community. But I got thinking about this in light of our message this morning and how God revives our spirit. Sometimes it is to grow spiritually. We come with an open Bible. We come uh, with a heart of prayer. And even this week, I'll, I'll admit, it, it is to come with a spirit of repentance for me. That... Uh, Part of the reason the, the bruising in my life has been because of how I have bruised others. And sometimes that growth comes with the band of brothers and sisters, like in a life group. God can heal and, and bring, re, uh, and bring uh, renewal to our own hearts. Uh, it comes in worship when we sing and, when we, and even on our own as we gather quietly just to be in the presence of God and to acknowledge who He is. There's, there's a healing that takes place. 
And then also there is a healing that takes place when we serve. And that's a beautiful thing. Sometimes when we get outside of ourselves to, uh, to, to, to focus on our own needs and to focus on the needs of others, it's amazing how that actually revives the passion within our own hearts. So I just highlight that because I do believe that God has given us the means for us to be healed, that, that his heart is for us. He does not break bruised, uh, bruised reeds. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. As we pray, I'll invite our prayer counselors to come forward, and maybe this morning you're here and you'd like to receive prayer. They would love uh, to pray with you. Father God, I thank you that your heart is a heart of gentleness, that your heart is a heart of justice. God, I thank you for the testimony that Michelle shared. The fire was almost out. She felt like she was just about to lose her daughter, Brooke, forever. Felt like she was about to lose her family uh, forever. And thank you, God, for how you intervened. God, I know that there are a lot of bruised reeds in this sanctuary right now, myself included. And God, we thank you that you love us so much. Thank you that it is your desire to, to draw near to us. It is your desire to make sure that we are not broken, but actually that we are bound up and that we are healed. You loved us so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, and it is his forgiving, it is his victory over sin and death that we have hope. And so, God, we thank you that as the passage says, the islands may draw hope in you, and we draw hope in you as well this morning. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Let's stand as we sing a song together.